It's so good to be worshiping with you this morning. I want to thank those who have made our worship experience uh, enjoyable so far. And I pray as we delve into our subject matter today, that God will open our hearts and our minds, give us the understanding that we need, and the power to do something about it. I have a couple questions to ask of you. Was living in the presence of God enough to keep the angels from rebelling against him? Did Adam and Eve, knowing what God said would happen if they ate the fruit, enough to keep them from eating the fruit? We know the answer is no to both of these. So my question then is, will God's people living in the last days be able to avoid the mark of the beast because we know what it is and what it's centered around? The wine of Babylon caused a third of the angels to give up their home. The wine of Babylon caused Adam and Eve to give up their home. Drinking the wine of Babylon will cause many of us to give up our eternal home also. This morning, we're going to, to look at the main ingredients in the wine of Babylon. We need to understand these things and make sure we are not drinking of it. Because the reality is, if we are drinking the wine of Babylon, if we're getting drunk by the wine of Babylon, there is no way we're going to be able to avoid the most dire warning in the Bible. Let's bow our heads and ask God into our midst. Father, we need you now more than ever. We need your words to settle in our hearts, to stable us, to draw us closer to you. Help us, O oh Lord, to have eyes only for you. As the song says, Lord, please keep us from being distracted, for taking you for granted. And reveal yourself to us now, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Turn with me again to our scripture reading. Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Revelation 17, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth commit fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth are made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So right away we see in this verse that there's a harlot out there. <clears throat> There's a woman who is going to be judged. This woman, known as the church, 
is going to be judged because she is unfaithful to her husband, Jesus Christ. She's not forced into this. She willingly practiced harlotry. And not only does she practice this, she sets out to make others practice this also. She's going to be judged because she makes the kings of the earth and the inhabitants of the earth commit fornication. Jeremiah 51 verse 7 says, she's going to make the nations drunk. She's going to make them deranged, he says. What does it mean to be deranged? Mad, insane. The wine of Babylon, the purpose of it is to make us mad, insane. Doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result, that's the result of the wine of Babylon. Thinking God doesn't mean what he says is the wine of Babylon. And if we're not careful, if we drink of this, we have no resistance to what the king of Babylon wants for us. So my question is, have you ever wondered what's in this wine? The Bible talks about this in Revelation eight times. Just as much times as it talks about the mark of the beast. Have you ever wondered what's in the wine of Babylon? I'd like to point you to three main ingredients in the wine of Babylon. We're going to look at self-exaltation, trying to make a name for yourself, fear of impending doom, thinking the judgments of God are out to get you, and unbelief. Any which way you put these three together will always produce the wine of Babylon, and it will cause you to think differently about God. Again, you cannot resist the mark of the beast if you're drinking the wine of Babylon and becoming drunk with it. So what is Babylon? Babylon represents the chaos, the misinformation, the false teachings the people of God receive when they add anything to the work of God. Salvation through the church that's Babylon. Salvation through your faith and your works, that's Babylon. Defining God through science, that's Babylon. Thinking all roads lead to God, that's Babylon. It will result in confusion and lead ultimately to unfaithfulness to God. Paul puts it this way, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That means the formation of Babylon, all right, is already at work in his day. And it says it was leading to lawlessness. Now only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. It's Christ who is keeping things in check. But we can move him out of the way. If we persist in unfaithfulness to God, 
we will remove him out of the way and God will have to give us the desires of our own hearts. And when we get the desires of our hearts, we will not like it. It was true back in Paul's day. It was true during the dark ages. It's going to be true in our day also. The wine of Babylon is nothing new. Daniel saw it in his day. And what did he and his friends decide to do? Make sure they didn't eat or drink. Right? The wine of Babylon. Thus, individuals who want to remain faithful to God, we must avoid the wine of Babylon. So where does the wine of Babylon, how do we... How do we understand how these three ingredients come about? Let's go all the way back to where we first hear the name Babylon. We've got to go all the way back to Nimrod. Genesis chapter 10. Verse 6 says, The sons of Hams were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. And it was Cush who begat Nimrod. He he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Eric, Akkad, Alned in the land of Shinar. It goes on in chapter 11 and says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said one to another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Nimrod is the leader who built Babel, from which we get the name Babylon, meaning chaos and confusion. From these verses, we see that on the plains of China, the people were encouraged by their leaders, did you read verse 4? To make a name for themselves. Why were they going to make a name for themselves? They did not want to be scattered by God. This sounds like self-exaltation, doesn't it? If you are desiring to make a name for yourself, does that not sound like the devil? When he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend into the heavens. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. The devil in heaven was trying to make a name for himself. And as a result of trying to make a name for himself, he was trying to avoid what God said would happen if he continued on the path that he was on. 
So on the plains of Shinar, Nimrod and all those around him were trying to make a name for themselves because of the judgment of God that they were expecting. Today, many are thinking they can save the inhabitants of the earth from the coming judgments of God that will result in climate change. Satan has been consistent in his point of view. When the problem is in the thinking of the people, change the system or change the institutions. What do we mean by that? The problem is never with us. Isn't that the way the devil thinks? What did God say was wrong with the first, with the first um, covenant? Was it the law or was it the people? So what did they want to change? The law. They wanted to, say, to change the system God set up for them. And likewise today we see this happening time and time again. When the problem is with us, change the Constitution. Change the way we govern. Change the law. And God is trying to say that is not the solution. God's point of view is when the problem is in the thinking of the people, change their thinking. Change the people. Get them to come back to him. We don't need to change marriage because it has not worked. We don't need a new way of governing because it doesn't work. What we need is to live how God has asked us to live. And if we would treat each other the way we should, if we should love one another the way we should, we wouldn't have to change any of these institutions. We wouldn't have to cancel anything in our culture. When faced with a crisis, personal or otherwise, are your actions motivated by fear or repentance? Do you see, are you motivated by, I gotta do something because? Or do you have to return to God? It makes a difference, does it not? It said the children, the inhabitants of the earth, wanted to build themselves a city and a tower because they didn't want to be scattered across the earth. So the question is, who told them they were going to be scattered? Who told them they were going to be scattered across the, the earth? Is God not the same yesterday, today, and forever? So who would have told them? Surely the Lord God does what? Nothing without first revealing it to his servants, the prophets. If it was true, all right, in the time of Amos, it was true before that, it's true now. So I can guarantee you, I can almost assure you, 
God would have to have sent his servants, the prophets, to tell them on the, on the plains of Shinar that if you continue on the path that you're on, it will result in you guys being scattered all over the face of the earth. And they panicked. They panicked and thought that God was going to destroy them again with a flood. I can see God sending his trusty servant Noah. Noah would have been about what? 810 years, give or take, about at this time. And Noah would have gone and told him, look, it's because of your unfaithfulness. It's because you are trying to make a name for yourself. You are practicing idolatry is why God's judgment is going to scatter you over the face of the earth. Just repent and return to him and all will be well. I can hear Noah saying, and please do not add to your sins by building this tower. Why would they build a tower? What were they trying to avoid by building a tower? Isn't it another flood? The last time they were scattered over the face of the earth, it was with a flood. And they thought if God was going to scatter them again, he would scatter them with a flood, so they built a tower. And Noah would have to remind them, God said he wouldn't do that. And as for me, behold, I established my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, the, and every beast of the earth with you, and all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. God is saying, I am making this covenant with every living creature upon the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So why did they need to build a tower? When you're trying to exalt yourself, and God says you're going about this the wrong way, and he says if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. The fear of impending doom has caused the children of men time and time again to defy the words of God. And they choose to do things that is not in harmony with the will of God. And as a result, unbelief sets in. They doubt the words of God. They, they are not living by faith anymore. They are living out of fear. Has the spirit of fear settled upon this nation? Has the spirit of fear settled upon this world? Is it not out of fear of impending doom? I have a bigger question for you. What does that say about their God? What does it say about us? When God sends judgments, is it for your good or is it to punish you? How you answer that determines how you respond to his judgments. 
There are many people who think God judges for the purpose of punishing us. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the purpose for God's judgment is to seize us by the heart, to get us to return to Him. He takes known delight in our destruction. The judgments of God is to save us. Do you believe it or don't you? Because if you don't believe it, you will take matters into your own hands. You will try to help God out. You will try to save yourself. You will be running into the arms of the king of Babylon. So now that we know what these ingredients are, self-exaltation, trying to make a name for yourself, fear of impending doom or fear of the judgments of God that leads to unbelief. How do we cure this? How do we get rid of these things? How do we stop drinking from this mixture that will ultimately make us drunk and ultimately cause us to receive the very mark we're trying to avoid? The Bible says the cure for a self-exaltation is humility. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will do what? He will lift you up. The world is trying to get us to think that if we just go along with their plan, if we let these men who are trying to make a name for themselves, if we just let them do their work, everything is going to be okay with us. They're lying. The cure for self-exaltation is not, see what I can do this time. See what I can do next. The cure for self-exaltation is humbling ourselves before our God is acknowledging our wicked ways. Sister White puts it this way. Justification by faith. Being saved by believing what God can do for you. It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which is not in his power to do for himself. Self-exaltation is a poison. It makes us think we can help God out. It makes us think, let me see now, put God on the sidelines, and when we have come up with this, then we can go back to God. Does that sound familiar? That self-exaltation. That's wanting to do something without God. That's a dangerous road, and it only leads to more and more destruction. When things go south, the best place for us to be is in the hands of God. When men see their nothingness, they are prepared to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. 
Do we see our own nothingness? Are we willing to acknowledge that without him we are nothing? Because until we are at that place, how will he save us? We won't let him save us. We will be more interested in saving ourselves. The cure for fear is to stop letting your predicament define your God. Your circumstance, your situation, your crisis is not what defines God. God is above all of that. Do you remember the story of David when he did a foolish thing and numbered the people? And God sent the prophets to David and said, either three years of famine as a result of what you have done, or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else three days the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territories of Israel. Now consider what answer I should take back to him who sent me. Can you imagine being the one who has to decide this? Three years of famine. Three years of California burning, or the whole nation burning. Three years of 9-11, or three months of 9-11 attacks. Or three days at the mercy of God. Do we remember David's response to this? I am in great distress. Everything seems bad, right? But please let me fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are what? Not great. Very great. Do not let me fall into the hand of man. Where do we stand today? Can we say it's better for us to fall into the hands of God, suffer at the hands of God, rather than falling into the hands of man? Because if we think our God is out to get us, we will never let ourselves fall into his hands. There's a reason the Bible says David was after God's own heart. He understood God in ways most people never did and never will. David knew it was always better to be with God than to be without God. Job puts it another way. Job says, happy is the man who falls into the correction of the Lord, right? whom the Lord corrects. Job says, he may bruise but he will bind up. He may wound us, but he will make us whole. Do you stand with them today? Do you acknowledge the mercies of God? Again, we're told, we have nothing to fear for the future, except we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teachings in our path. Is it possible we are filled with fear as a nation because we have forgotten how God has led us in the past? We have forgotten how when our enemies have come against us, it was God who defended us. It is God who has prospered us. 
Or have we fallen for the trap of self-exaltation and think it's because of our intelligence, our military might, our sophistication, is all what we can do that has brought us where we are? The wine of Babylon is deadly. It will cause us to put credit where credit is not due. The wine of Babylon says, it's me who has done this. It's me who has to do this. Instead of acknowledging, it's our God who has provided all along. So, do you know how great the mercies of your God is? Do you? The cure for unbelief is to stop doubting the words and the promises of God. It's not complicated, is it? God means what God says. God is not a man that he should lie. If God says it, he means it. And that should settle it for us. But if we're going to question, yes, God said this, but that's called doubting the words of God. And the devil is quick to use that to toss us all over the place. And then we are trying to do things that the Bible says only God can do. Have you never come up against an impossible situation? Have you never been in a situation where you don't know how you can get out of this? We need to start proving our God. We have to allow God to put us in situations where we can only declare if it was not for God, we could not have gotten through this. We need those experiences in our lives. David said, we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. We have to experience him for ourselves. So when fear is all around us, we don't let those circumstances, those predicaments, determine what our God will do. We don't have to guess. We will know because we will remember how he has led us in the past. Family, there's a reason why people are trying to cancel our history. If we forget our history, we will forget how God has led us. And if we forget how God has led us, the fear of the unknown will paralyze us. And as a result, we are more inclined to put our trust in man. We will want anything. We just somebody just do something. Those people who are asking you to put their your trust in them. Do not know nor serve your God. Self-exaltation, making a name for yourself, is not of God. Trying to avoid the judgments of God is somebody who doesn't know the God of heaven. He's merciful. Isaiah puts it this way. It's not just David. It's all over our Bibles. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. 
Return to our God, for he will what? It's not just pardon. He will abundantly pardon. Isn't this the same thing Paul is saying? Where sin abounds what? Grace does much more. It just doesn't abound. It much more abounds. The wine of Babylon can make us drunk when we don't know our God. When we don't realize just who he is what he is about. God says, if you humble yourself and let me take care of you, you will want for nothing. My God can supply all your needs. That's what he has promised. That's what he does. Whether we acknowledge him for doing it or not is irrelevant. He is the one who supplies all our needs. And when circumstances come around us for which we are powerless to do anything about, it is still that God who delivers us. It is that God who will still sustain us. And we don't have to miss out on his blessings because of unbelief. Think about the children of Israel going into the, going into the promised land for the first time. God leads them all the way through the Red Sea. He feeds them with manna. He gives them water. And in less than two years, they're at the door of the promised land. And they send out spies because they weren't sure what was, in that, in what was, looking, what was beyond the borders. They needed to know for themselves why. Were they going to be able to do anything about it? No. So they send out the spies, right? Ten of them come back with a bad report. It is just as we think it is. The cities are fortified. The, the people are giant. We are no match for them. Were they correct? Yes. That was a true statement. But the reality is they had the God of heaven on their side. And if God is for us, do you see what unbelief does? Do you see what living in fear does? It makes you doubt what God has said. It's God who said, I'm taking you to the promised land. It is God who said, the battle is mine. It's not yours. But when we let our circumstances, the situations around us, to get the better of us, when we allow the spirit of fear to come over us, we dismiss the words of God. We look down on the promises of God and we start to second-guess Him. As a result, they were not able to go in. Forty years in the wilderness they had to wander. That wasn't God's intention for them. That was the result of them not trusting God. And we have been here now way too long. And it's not because God has wanted to keep us here all these years. It's because he hasn't found a people who are ready to put their complete trust in him. That no matter what happens around them, they're not defining their God by those things. They're defining him by who he says he is and who he has proven himself to be in their lives. Have you tasted and seen that God is good?
can you stand on the promises of God because you have seen him come through for you? Or is your God still just a theoretical concept you have up here? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Family, God wants us to put our complete trust in him. And we are at a place now in history where we're going to have to decide Are we all in with what God says? Or are we going to still try to to have God and some of man? Are we going to say, oh yes, God says this, but I think we should do this also. If we don't want to receive the mark of the beast, we have to reject every aspect of the wine of Babylon. If we sip even on a little of self-exaltation, it will corrupt us to the core. If we decide to live in fear, it will destroy us. If we don't believe God, we will run into somebody else's arms. That's just the reality. So today... Do we want to be like David, like, sorry, like Daniel, his three friends? Are we willing to say we no longer want to have anything to do with the wine of Babylon? Because if we drink the wine of Babylon and we allow that mixture to make us mad, that mixture to confuse us about who God is, we will think It is God who is offering us that mark. It's the most dire warning in the Bible. But we need to understand how it comes about. The the mark of the beast doesn't come because the devil just says, Hey, come, take this mark or else. He knows that won't work for the people of God. So he has to get them drunk. He has to get them so confused about their God that they think He is God. And the Bible says He's coming to set Himself up in the place of God. Are we ready? Do we stand on God's words? I hope we will all purpose in our hearts today to be like Daniel, to be like his three friends. So that whatever happens around us, we can say, our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not drink from the wine of Babylon. We will not give in to the circumstances around us. We will trust in our God. Let's pray. Father, it is so easy in our sinfulness to think that we can help you out. To think that our salvation is because of you and us. 
when our salvation, our hope, is in God and God alone. Forgive us, Lord, for injecting ourselves into your perfect plan. Forgive us for our continual making a mess of things around us. But like David this morning, we want to acknowledge you are very merciful. You are abounding in mercy. You are quick to pardon. Father, forgive us. We have sinned against you. Cleanse us from our unrighteousness and create in us a clean heart. Lord, bring Jesus back into focus in our lives. May he be front and center. May he be high and lifted up in our lives. We thank you, O Lord, that you have not left us alone. You have not abandoned us. You will never turn your back on us. I pray you will bring us to that place where we will not turn our backs on you. So, Help us to enjoy this rest, this Sabbath. Remind us with your Sabbath what it's really about, us completely trusting in you. Thank you for proving yourself time and time again in our lives. And may we, O Lord, live like we believe who you are. We ask these things in the name of Jesus.